the unseen. And I'm your host, Mike Cleland. I am so honored to spend this show talking with my friend Christopher Bledsoe. We met seven years ago in 2013, and in the intervening years, we have talked and spent a lot of time together. He has had a remarkable set of powerful experiences, and his initial event happened in January of 2007, just a few miles from his home. He was with his son, Christopher Jr., and several close friends fishing on the banks of the Cape Fear River in eastern North Carolina. What happened that night is one of the most fantastic events in all of UFO history. And I am choosing not to cover that complex experience here in this interview. Instead, I want to direct you, the listener, to a four-part series of audio interviews done by Richard Dolan on his radio show. Now, Rich covers Chris's experiences very thoroughly, and he asks exactly the questions that need to be asked in order to paint a very clear picture of what Chris and his family have endured. So for anyone listening to my interview here who is not familiar with Chris's story, I would strongly encourage you to listen to the complete four hours hosted by Rich. I am including a link in the show notes to those excellent interviews. Now, if you don't have access to the show notes, just search out Richard Dolan, The Chris Bledsoe Story, YouTube, and this series will be the first thing that comes up. At several points in this upcoming interview, Chris mentions the events of 2007, as well as the Shining Lady, who he will sometimes refer to only as the Lady. Now, both of these accounts and a lot more are covered in Richard Dolan's interviews. The issue with the Lady this shining lady. This was an apparition that is, I guess, I mean, almost biblical in its impact. And Chris told me that story personally in his yard at the site where it happened. And to hear him tell it and the shakiness in his voice, it is obvious the impact that that experience had on his life. Now, for this interview, I am focusing on some of Chris's lesser-known stories, and these are stories that he has shared with me personally over the years, and many of these involve owls. And, and from where I am, uh, Chris has had more owl experiences than anyone I have come across, and some of these have been terribly emotionally powerful. And I should also say that I have had my own experiences with Chris. And some of these happened right in his yard. And some of these are connected with the site of the 2007 event along the Cape Fear River. This is a long interview. And it needed to be long. There is a, there is a powerful, beautiful story interwoven within these experiences. Chris is my friend. And I feel such a strong bond to him and to his family. This conversation was recorded on Thursday, April 2nd, 2020. Please enjoy. Chris, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. 
Well, I appreciate that, Mike. Um, I'm looking at some notes and stuff here as I was prepping this, and we met seven years ago, seven years ago in May. So just coming up on seven years ago in, a, in a, about a month and a half here. And I consider you a real friend, and I really value the time we've had to spend together in, in the hospitality you've shown me when I've spent time with you down in North Carolina. I appreciate that, and uh, I really enjoyed meeting you and Andrea, and uh, we, the family, considers you guys personal friends, you know. Um, you're always welcome to come, both of you, and stay with us, and I know we have the same invite, so. You sure do, yeah. We, we, and when this inn gets back opened up again, yeah, we'd love to have you up here. I'll talk about this a little later in the in the talk, but I certainly have had some very powerful, unusual experiences at your home or with you in your presence. And we can talk about that in a little bit here. But I, I said as much in the introduction, but I, I don't want you to tell the same story over and over and over again. I understand <laughs> I understand what that means to have to tell the same story over. And, and the, the interviews that Richard Dolan did can do way more than we would be able to do in an hour. So I want to cover some of the some of the outlying stories that, that you probably don't get to share too much. That works for me. There's there's a lot of those. Uh I'm bad for never writing anything down, so you may have to, if I've told you one before, you may have to jog my memory. Okay. Well, there's one that I love. 13 years. Yeah. Well, there's one story that I that I love, I think is just remarkable, and it for me it speaks to the to the strangeness of this of this stuff, and it involves an owl, so, uh, so that got my attention. And this is a story where you were on a ladder on a friend's roof. I would love to hear that story. Sure. Um... This happened, I don't know how many years ago, probably six or eight years ago, I guess. It was a friend of mine that lives fairly close. He um, he had a lightning strike a, a pine tree right next to his house. And he's kind of poor and didn't have a lot of uh, any way to, to take it down. So he calls me as a friend and to see if I would come help him. So I brought, uh, I took my son, Junior, and a, another friend, and we rode over. And what it was was it was a pine tree growing about three feet or two and a half feet from the end of his house, right against the, the roof. I mean, it came right up beside the house. But at the very top, it was a very tall pine tree, about 70, 80 feet. The top of it was split open. So he was afraid, um, you know, it was going to die end up falling on his house so what we did is we looked at that thing and we decided the best way to try to to take it down was to cut the top tie a rope around it and have two guys on the ground pulling and just cut the top section out of it and we drew straws to who that would be and it ended up i uh, me getting the uh, short straw. So what we did is we took a ladder and we set it up on top of the peak of the house, believe it or not, of all things. This is what construction workers would do. Leaned it against a tree. I climbed up that ladder and I felt very uneasy. It was very tall, very high off the ground. But I looked at it as, uh, and I carried my saw up the tree with me, uh, you know, up the ladder with me. And so I was about... And this is a chainsaw. As I got to looking serious at 
at cutting this thing, I got afraid. And all of a sudden, a great big white owl with speckles on it just appeared out of nowhere, just flew up, wings like it was landing. I mean, it was coming down, and it came down in the tree next to us. And we all looked at it like, what in the world? Well, I knew. I took it serious because of interaction with owls throughout my past. They always seemed to be a a warning um, danger. So I stopped immediately, and I thought, I'm going to take this precaution. And it just came to me. I should tie the top of this ladder to that pine tree in case the tree whipped or sprung it might throw throw me off this thing so i climbed up the ladder again i went back down first i climbed back up and i tied the top of the ladder to the tree and i tied the chainsaw to the ladder that way i couldn't drop it and if if the thing uh, tried to throw me off i could just hang on to the ladder and climb down it but long story short um we proceeded on, and the the whole time the owl was there, we proceeded to cut in that tree. And good thing I tied the top of that ladder to that tree because it would have thrown me off and probably would have hurt me really bad. But the tree did what I thought it would do. It kind of sprung back, and it pulled the bottom of the ladder off the top of the roof and left me hanging on the side of the tree. But the owl warned me. I would have never stopped and tied that ladder off if the owl hadn't landed next to me in that tree. This is remarkable, and this is exactly what I have been immersed in. This this story you just told is exactly the story that I have been seeking. These stories, the kind of story. Um, so you recognize it. No one has to explain to you what that owl or anyone. It sounds like everyone else recognized it too. Everyone else in the that was that was there helping. Exactly. Um, they all thought it was very strange. It's big snowy white owl, which you don't very uh, you never see those kinds of owls around here. Usually they're brown or small, but this thing was huge and white and it had brown speckles. Yeah, under its wings when it came landing in that tree. That's not the first time I've had an omen from an owl. When I was 10 years old, I was shot point blank from six foot away in the back with a 20-gauge shotgun. Blew a hole in me the size of an orange. And I still have lead in my shoulder and chest that um, I have to deal with every time I go through TSA. But at that, when I was 10, it was New Year's Day, the day that I was shot. My mother, uh, I was attending this little country church called Cape Fear Baptist Church when I was, all the kids in the neighborhood went. So we were, we were doing the Christmas celebration at church. And after the Christmas celebration, um, or during the, after my mother said, look, son, when, when this thing is over, it'd be about nine o'clock. You come out here and stand by this tree and I'll pick you up. I was just 10 years old, a little boy in a country church with a dirt driveway. And there was about 20 of us kids there from the community. And so after the program, I walk out front and there's this one little tree about 20 feet tall. In fact, that tree is still there all these years later. 48 years later, 
I walk up and I lean against the tree and little boy standing there waiting on mom to come. Nobody else. They're all still in the church, the kids. And here comes mom pulling in the driveway. And when I look towards her car to my left, my back against the tree, less than three feet from me was this, I'm talking at this shoulder, shoulder level, same eye level to me was about a three feet or two and a half foot tall, very big owl sitting on this limb. And look, it turned its head and looked me straight in the eye, and we were three or four feet apart. And it just, it didn't frighten me. It didn't, um, it didn't make me run. I just looked at it, and I had the strangest feeling. And I walked up to Mother's car. She pulls up and stops. And there's the owl sitting there looking at me. And I walk up to mom and I said, do you see that owl? She couldn't see it. She never did see it. So I got on in the car and left. But, you know, that was that was just before Christmas, like um, the 23rd or the 24th that night. And on New Year's Day, I was shot point blank and nearly died from it. In fact, I had a near-death experience with that. But that was the first time, and it has never left my mind ever and can never all these years. And I knew after that, always knew that had to have been a warning to what happened. So it's it's always been a part of my life, owls and warnings of things to come. And this is, this is, the ancient lore of the owl. I mean, this is the ancient folklore of the owl. And presently, we live in a world where, I guess people, I guess I, I know I take it seriously, and I recognize you take it seriously, but it seems like our Western world does not take these omens seriously, these, um, especially owl things. There's plenty of other folklore that I feel is replaying, but what I'm focused on is these owl stories. And that story it foreshadowed not only you dying, but coming back to life. So that that leaves me just thunderstruck at the power of that story. Now, can, what can you say about what happened in your near-death experience? Well, um, how it played out was I was 10, and my next-door neighbor, uh, only only house within miles of us we lived out on the farm in the country and they had a dairy farm and we raised hogs and and uh, a garden and tobacco worked in all of it but what it what it did to me was uh i can't explain it mike um all i can say is when when it happened i was dove hunting in a on a cornfield on New Year's Day, my dad and his friends had a hunting club, and they were fixing the roads on the farm. It was, it was about a thousand acres there, and they leased part of it or most of it, and they would that was part of their deal after hunting season. They would fix the roads. So, my grandfather and his friend was cooking a hog while us children were hunting, while the grown men were fixing the roads with tractors and shovels. Right, so. It was about, oh, I guess midday, twelve, one o'clock. I was in, I was in the middle 
between these two boys. One was a hundred yards to my left, one a hundred yards to my right. And we were we were backed up in the edge of the field, waiting on doves to come by. We were dove shooting, and this bird flies over the guy to my right, my neighbor. He was nine. He shot at the bird and missed it. He came on over me, and I shot. I had old double barrel shotgun and. And the bird fell across the field from me. So I stood up and walked across the field, not knowing that my neighbor thought that he had shot the bird or wanted to claim it. And he was running up behind me. I didn't know he was coming. I just went to get this bird. Didn't know there was going to be a problem. But when I got to this, where I could see the bird in the edge of the woods, it was laying, it was under some shrubs and it was kind of, not dead it was fluttering so i thought well maybe it flies away i better load my rock shotgun and i'm about 20 feet from this bird and i crack open this double barrel and when i did the shells flew out of it you know it used to eject the shells oh steven 16 gauge is what i was carrying and i dropped the shell one on the ground and i bit over to pick that shell up and not knowing that my neighbor had ran up behind me and he wanted to claim the bird like young kids would do, I guess. And when I leaned over to pick this shell up, he threw his gun up and fired over me. Worst thing anybody could even do, but he did it. And when I stood up at the same time, he pulled the trigger. So it drove me about 20 or 25 feet forward on my face into the to the, the the briars and the leaves, and I was bleeding really bad. And they went to fighting, my cousin and my neighbor. They were both nine years old. Who's going to go get help first? And I'm just like, somebody please help me. I just kept you know, crying out, y'all quit fighting. Somebody go get help. Well, one of the guys, the, the boy that shot me, his dad actually... Uh, had just gotten off his tractor about a half a mile away from us and heard them fighting. And the next thing I know, I see him drive up in his old truck. Now I'm laying on the ground bleeding to death, and he runs in the woods and picks me up, throws me over his shoulder, and takes me to the hospital in an old Ford pickup. But at that time, I, I left this world. And I woke up after surgery, Back in those days, the only way they could tell how much lead was in me is they kept pulling lead out. They'd run me back on a stretcher into the x-ray room and take more x-rays and bring me back to surgery and pull more lead out. And there was a whole lot of it in there. And, and on about the second or third time they did that, I woke up in the x-ray room on a very cold metal table. And all I remembered was being inside of a an orb. I know it was an orb now. I used to describe it as a clear bubble. And it felt like I was standing on something solid. The walls were solid. I could touch them, but I uh, couldn't see it. I could just see Earth getting smaller as we were leaving Earth in a bubble. I've been telling that story 48 years now. And uh, that was the first time. Now, just I'm just going to add. So I'm I'm always looking for mythic elements in a story or an experience. So here, in the dove, has maybe more mythology than the owl. I mean, the dove is. I mean, Jesus 
saw the Holy Spirit as a dove when he was baptized. Yeah. So the dove is is a symbol also, the same way that the owl would be a symbol. I don't do any hunting anymore. For anybody who wants to know, I quit that after my experience in 2007. My whole life changed. I've never been the same. I've never, uh, you know, I got rid of all my weapons. I just, I quit hunting. I quit doing it all. And my wife, she would get irritated with me still because I pick a bug up if there's one in the house and take it outside. She's like, kill it. I just can't do it. <laughs> I carry them out too. Yeah, I carry them out too. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. That's actually a question I have asked people before. It, you know, like people who have these experiences, I, I have like a set of questions I ask. And that's one of them. Like, do you pick up bugs or do you squash them? And, and it's certainly, some people certainly squash them. But wow, I'll tell you, a lot of people who have had these contact experiences We'll pick them up and carry them out and let them go. It's all about nature somehow, Mike, and mysticism uh, with the owls and the birds and the hawks. Uh, all that has, uh, in other words, nature. When this thing happened to me uh, in 07, January 8th of 07, this river event, um, I immediately... Um, looked into backpacking, never done any of that, always a business, busy person, very sick. But after my experience, I was healed. I had no more Crohn's. I had Crohn's disease up until that time. So I went out and bought backpacking equipment and two sets, really. And I spent weeks at the time on the Appalachian Trail just trying to find. But nature drew me. And then I started painting nature. I started painting Birds, hummingbirds, and hummingbird. Another, I've seen your hummingbird painting. Yeah, yeah. And, and they asked me, "Why did you do that?" Well, I, the only thing I can tell you is the sound that I heard the night this thing came over the house. We had that experience in our backyard. Here, let's. I, I I'm going to interrupt, and I hate to do this, but we have to take our very first break. Okay, go ahead. For free Dreamlanders, you will hear a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on The Unseen with my friend Christopher Bledsoe, and we are talking about his experiences, and just before the break, he was starting a story that happened in his yard, in the home he's living in now. And and did this happen uh, roughly a year ago? Specific story was this, now the one... Oh, this is the story where the, the lady, when you heard the lady, or the lady spoke to you near your home? In the form of an orb. That was um, that was Easter of last year. Yes, that's the story I want to hear. Yeah. Okay, so um, it's very important to understand that uh, for the last eight years, which you know, Mike, I, I've been secret. I have been in the dark. I haven't been telling this story publicly to no one. And there's a lot of reasons why. Um. Before 2012 and my experience with the lady, I would never tell it ever, ever again. And after she came in 2012, I, uh, I wanted to tell the story. And that was my whole mission from that point forward is to tell it. But a lot of things happened with um, some Hollywood folks and, and some scientists that came along. And we just all figured it's best that we work on science projects and 
work on a Hollywood project and just stay out of the public. So for eight years, I had no intentions to talking about this story, none of this time. And and today, the reason I'm telling this story is because of last Easter. On Easter Monday, about 7.30 in the afternoon, it was uh, dark that time. Um, or right about dark, just after dark. It was just, just after dark, maybe 8 o'clock. I walk out of my house. Uh, I live in a small cabin on a on about 15 acres on a pond, and it's private and have a gate to come in, and and so it's dark. We live pretty close to the city limits. I mean, less than a thousand feet probably from the city limits, but we have this little place. It's, it's really neat and it's it's quiet. You'd think you're in the country. So I go outside uh, at um, just after dark, good and. The minute I will open the back door, my patio is six feet from the water. I can stand on my patio and fish. Um, so I walk out the back door, and the minute I close the door across the pond, uh, it's about a four-acre pond. It's about 50 yards across it, I guess, wide, maybe wider at the widest point. But across on the other side of the pond, up about 300 feet in the air, this orb appears immediately. Now I see them a lot. We see them with our visual, with our eyes. Not uh, you don't need cameras to to take pictures to see them. Although we do that some. And here, let me just. I have I have been to your home and uh, I have seen orbs in your yard. So I can vouch for this one from my own firsthand experience. This one, this one was something. I mean, I've seen a lot. I've got videos of them that that nobody can debunk period and it's been um it's been worked on by some very high level scientists from virginia tech different places so the, the, we've got a video of an orb that's going to blow some minds but at, at, on that day easter monday i walk out the door this orb appears it's about the size of a um it's about the size of a flashlight a small flashlight i guess when it first came on, these things can grow very big, very fast, big as a, a house from this, a point of light. So it, it starts flashing very bright. I knew it saw me. I knew it. I knew it was reacting to me walking outside. It was waiting on me. So it starts flashing, and here it comes. And it's, they're always spiraling. These orbs are always twisting. It's like the light is rotating. So it. It, it starts in a spiral motion, and it grows to be bigger, to about the size of a, uh, a basketball. And it's flashing very bright, and here it comes. And I'm getting very nervous at this time. I have uh, a couple of dogs with me. Um, they were spooked. This border collie and a little chihuahua. And I just walked about three, four steps to the edge of the water. And I'm seeing this thing in the air. Here it's coming, kind of flashing very wildly. And it's, it's in a spiral motion. And it gets to the edge of the the trees, the top of the pine trees on the edge of the water. And it starts down in a spiraling motion and it comes all the way to the ground, just just at the edge of the water on the far side and stops. 
And now this orb is jumping up and down about eight to 10 feet. And it's, it's, it's straight up and down and it's changing from white to red to yellow. And those gradients as it's changing colors as it's going up and down. And about that time I'm breathing so heavy, I can't catch my breath. The energy from it is overwhelming. The dogs are kind of spooked. And then it starts towards me and it comes out over the water and it's like a person now. This is an entity. I can see it clearly. It's translucent. The orb is still there. The orb is bouncing up and down 10 feet high, 8 to 10 feet, very bright. And I pull my camera out and my cell phone, and I focus it on it. And I'm just nervous to death. I'm saying a prayer, Lord, help me, you know, keep me safe. Um, I don't need any more uh, radiation from these orbs because... That's what they believe happened to this rheumatoid I have is this radiation from these orbs. But long story short, this thing comes out over the water and it's hovering over the water going up and down eight to 10 feet. And I can see clearly this entity there. About eight or nine minutes into that, I'm, I'm holding my camera. I'm on my knees now. This thing's 25 feet from me, out over the water, and I'm thinking I'm filming it. So I, I, I'm saying a prayer. I look up at my phone, and I never hit record. So the minute I hit record, Mike, this thing immediately knew that I was about to hit that button. It dims down instead of a full-blown show. Now it's an orb that comes on at its feet goes off, comes on at its waist, and goes off. And it moves up and comes on where its head was, and it goes off. And for that next 18 minutes, I film this orb hovering over the middle of my pond, coming on and going off. 18 minutes, I got it. There was no debunking it. And what it did is it, it gave me a message, and I could hear it just as clear as if, uh, you were standing there talking to me. It said, it's now chapter two. It's time to tell your story. Don't hesitate. Get out and tell what you know and do it now. And so, I, you know, I've got people that I'm involved with that I've signed option agreements with and and all this, this Hollywood project and other things that I'm involved with, scientists and all. I didn't call any of those. I just immediately picked up the phone to see who was the last person that texted me that wanted to do an interview. And it happened to be the UFO News Network with Frank Statler, Chant Hanna. Never met him, didn't know who they were. I just dialed him up and said, would you still want to do this interview? And so I did. And boy, did that get some attention. Um, person that works as a manager for me, uh, she kind of freaked out. What in the <laughs> world are you doing? I said, look, I was told to tell my story and there's nothing stopping me now. So I've got to tell it. And so I did. And um, then Rich Dolan catches wind that I'm back talking again. And uh, that's how it was quickly arranged that, that we did four interviews with Richard. And the 
project managers wanted me to kind of not oversaturate, you know, do too much. So we've kind of had to, I've had so many calls, it's un- unbelievable. But I tried to not do too many too quick interviews. But we've done three with Fade to Black and four with Jimmy Church, one with UFO Network, and now I'm with my friend Mike. And it's all because that orb came from the sky and told me that. Well, I'm so grateful you you said yes when I called you. And I also want to explore this, I guess, these this sort of outlying stuff. I mean, everything else was covered so well with Richard Dolan. There's no reason to, to tread that ground again. That was covered beautifully. And the listeners to this can go and listen to that and hear your remarkable, powerful story. I agree, Mike. Um, you saw an owl at your father's funeral, and I met your father in 2013. Right. And and my father had just died. So just so listeners know, you and I are about the same age. And so when I met your father, my father had just died. So uh, I was very aware of our age and his age and everything like that. And I recognized the, the, I guess, the life path that we all lead, I guess. So, but that story you told about what happened at your father's funeral was beautiful. And I would love to hear it now, if you could. Um, well, when, when dad passed away, it was in December 3rd, six years ago, and it was a very cold, cold, rainy day. He was buried at a little church, um, little country church out in a little town called Grace Creek, which is where he was from and a little Baptist church. And I mean, it was cold and rainy and they put up a tent and so we were all trying to hub run this tent and uh, and you know meet and greet everyone. So after the funeral service was um, over, and um, he was buried there at the church. But what the funeral services did, they came to my mother's home and they picked the family up with their their limousines, and they took us to the church. We only lived two miles from the church, right, two and a half miles. So they loaded us back up to leave, and everybody would follow us out, you know, back to Mother's, because that's where dinner and everybody had brought food. So this was after the service. We all load in this limousine, two of them, and the whole family, and as we drive out of the church parking lot, I mean, out of the driveway, soon as we drive out of the driveway there's this curve um you have to make a left turn you come out of the driveway onto the paved surface go about 50 yards and make the first left to go towards my house and there was in the middle of the road for all to see it was it was you couldn't have planted it no better there was a tree that the limbs grew out over the, the pavement over the drive, the road. And there was this, again, very tall, white speckled owl sitting on this lowest limb that was dead on this tree that hung out over the middle of the road. And it was looking straight at the limousine as we went under that limb. Everybody just looked up at it. My mother, my wife, and all of us just said, oh, my God, did you see that? 
And um, it just sent chills all over everyone. It just, it, it was there. I mean, it was right three minutes out of the funeral parking lot. We were looking at a house sitting on a rainy, cold December day about two o'clock. This owl sitting there, and they're not supposed to be in the rain out in the daylight. You know, you never see that. So we knew. I knew exactly. And and what did you know? Well, I felt like it was a sign that he was taken care of. That the forces of nature, these entities, it's like the Egyptians. Everybody believes in these Egyptians being ancient aliens, gods, and all this. You know, they make up these amazing stories well the egyptians a friend of mine is one of the best egyptologists in the world dr robert gilbert and he studies it he reads it fluently and he says everywhere mark everywhere all over egypt they call these beings the natur which in english means nature and they depict them as uh, you know hippopotamuses birds ibis birds but they're forces of nature we have people here that interpret it as ancient aliens when they were worshiping forces of nature. And the story you just told with the owl at the funeral of a parent. So what happens now is I'm, I have a little thing on my site where I say, I want to hear your owl stories. And people are sending me their owl stories. Now, some of them have to do with UFOs. I will tell you, a lot of them have to do with people who have died recently. I get very, very few stories of owls showing up before a death. And that's the, that's some of the lore, uh, especially in the Native Americans in the Southwest. That's some of the lore. But what I'm finding is, so people who are contacting me are telling me stories of most often their parent showing up what, here's what they say. They say their parent shows up as an owl, and I have had people who are grieving. They say, they say I was in a place of grieving. I have one woman. She was meditating. Her mother had died, and she was meditating, and she was, she was trying to come to peace with it. She was meditating. The intention of her meditation was to move beyond her grieving. And she opened her eyes, and there was an owl on a chair on a deck right outside her window. And if she had been an inch to the right or an inch to the left, when she opened her eyes, she wouldn't have seen it. So it was aligned exactly for her to see it. And and she went out and she opened the window to the deck and she talked to this owl as if it was her mother. She cried and she said her, her grieving ended. And I have heard that story in one form or another many, many times. I agree with it. I, I really believe that was my father or a messenger to tell us that he was he was fine that uh, they had him that he would be okay and that and that is the message that everyone I've talked to has told me the same message yeah that's the message they received it's incredible and, and the warnings just here we're living in this new place now you know for four years oh here let me let me take our second break for free dreamlanders you will hear a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on The Unseen with my friend Christopher Bledsoe, and we are talking about his experiences, some of his lesser-known experiences, some of his experiences that might seem, I guess, a lower tier rather than 
the grand, powerful experiences that have been at the forefront of his other interviews. But I'm much more interested in these much more subtle outlying experiences. And, uh, and we've talked about this at your home, the story of the CB Tower. That's a story in its own, uh, talking about the CB radio. In 2007, when this thing happened, I came home telling the world about the lights that I just saw and the blessing that I just received and uh, how it, you know, scared my son. And we were seeking help. And, well, the, the our community didn't accept it very well. They all labeled me nuts and crazy and and so um, what it did is it isolated me very quickly. Um, I, I basically stayed in my room for a year. I didn't have much interaction with anyone. I had missing time and severe headaches from thinking about this thing. And so I, I basically, I just told myself, I don't care for these people, my best friends in life, my cousins, family, I'm done with them all. If they won't believe me, I'm done with them. And that's exactly where I, I just shut them all off. I never wanted to see them again if they couldn't believe me. And since, you know, I've I've gotten back involved with a, a lot of those people, but a lot I haven't. I needed people to talk to. I needed to tell this story, but my wife didn't really want me to tell it because she was afraid um, her church was telling her I was dealing with the devil and the kids were afraid they were tiny and all the lights were still showing up at home and she was freaking out. The kids would see it and we just needed answers and nobody was there to help us. And so what I did is when I was growing up young, we all had a CB craze about CB radios. And I got the craziest idea. Well, uh, if I'm going to make new friends, I'll just install me a, a CB radio. Uh, and I had two or three from childhood growing up, and I had run across one. So I did. I, I put one in, a little uh, mobile radio in the house, in my room, and that turned into I needed a bigger antenna and the local caterpillar place had one of them big tall metal towers that they never used because of you know technology so I asked them if I could have it and they said yeah you can have it so I got a couple guys over and we took it down and I took it to my house and installed it in the backyard guide wires and all this thing was a hundred and four feet to the top of the tower tall and about 131 feet to the top of the, the mast, the, where it crosses up there. And so the very first person I met on this CB when I turned it on was a guy named 77. Um, I thought that was kind of a biblical number, was crazy, but he introduced me to a, a guy and his handle was ET. So here I am, I'm talking to et now 40 <laughs> years old he's hand, handicapped right and that turned into two years of me helping him and helping people i found out that everybody on these radios were either a trucker on 95 or on the interstate and they run one channel all these other channels had elderly people or handicapped people so for two to three years 
until this incident happened, I spent most of my time uh, meeting these people on the radio, meeting them for lunch or coffee, ended up helping them out and doing things for them, fixing stuff for them because they were handicapped. And I felt sorry for them. Older, severe, diabetes, and so on. And they're just looking a friend. So what happens is, I don't know the exact time my wife could tell you, but it was somewhere around 2010 or 11, I guess. Um, I get up one morning. It was in, it was in July, and it was hard of summertime. 6:30, 7 o'clock. I walk out back, and it's foggy, very foggy. And I look up on top of that antenna, sitting the same big old white speckled owl, sitting on the very top on the crossbeam. And it was just hunched over, looking straight at me. It gave me the, the weirdest feeling. I said, okay, what kind of warning is this? This is naturally, automatically, that's where my mind went to. What kind of omen is he telling me? So I went back in the house. I came back out and this thing's gone. I wanted to show family and friends a little bit early for him, but everybody missed it, long story short. So... Now we fast forward through the day to about 12.30 or maybe 2 o'clock. It was, it was after lunch. It's say 2 o'clock. I'm sitting beside my CB radio, and I'm, I've got this recliner. The antenna's outside, this gigantic wire, big as an inch and a half around. That's how big the cable was coming from that antenna through the wall into my back of my CB, which is you know, I can just sit in my chair and turn it on and off and talk. So I'm sitting there dialing this thing in and out, and I hear thunder rumbling in the background. So I reach up and I turn it off. You know, you're supposed to unplug this thing in any thunderstorm. I just turned it off. I never got a chance to unplug it because my daughter walks in and she says, Dad, Mom wants you, and she's out on the front porch. So I go from the back of the house all the way through the house to the front porch. And uh, I sat down beside my wife for a minute and we were talking. And Emily comes back out the door and and stands there no more than 30 seconds when a crack of lightning hit. Boom. It was the loudest thing you ever heard. Scared Emily, so she runs back in the house. And Yvonne and I, you know, just trying to, think, boy, that was mighty close. Well, no sooner than Emily goes in the house, she comes back out. And she says, Dad, just like it was nothing. She was very calm. She just looks at me. She said, Dad, the house is on fire. I said, what? She said, yeah, the house is on fire. You're ruined. I jumped up. So I ran in the house, and I could see the very back door clear through the whole house to the back door. And I could see fire glistening off this glass on the back door. So I grabbed the first thing I could find in the cabinet to, and filled up a glass. That's all I had. And I <laughs> ran back there and I ran in that room and there's fire coming out of the, it, 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 it hit the antenna mic, came down that huge cable, exploded through the wall where it grounded the walls. It, it, it came up through the floor, set the whole house on fire, did $35,000 worth of damage, and would have killed me dead. I mean, 
dead if if my daughter hadn't came and got me to go to my see my wife at that. I mean, it was only two minutes after she came that lightning hit that antenna, but it completely destroyed everything. Uh, the whole backside of the house, we had to rebuild it all. But that owl gave me a great big sense of thank you, Lord. I knew it was a warning of some sort. And sure enough, it, it just, it, well, you were there, I think, after we rebuilt the house. Yeah, that back corner room. And, and you told me, so after the event, the initial event at the Cape Fear River, you said you, you kind of hold yourself up in that room. For how long would you say you did? I did for, well, uh, it happened in 07, January of 07. And I didn't report it until um, October of 07. So for 10 months, I stayed uh, held up. And then two more months goes by. Because the minute I report it in October of 07, it was around the 15th, I get a call the very next day. Boy, we want to come see you. And I got cold feet. I thought, no, this may be bad. Um this may in in a divorce, I thought. There's no telling because my wife did not want me talking about this around the kids. They all wanted me to forget it and leave it. And I just couldn't. So I made that decision that day to um to report it, just thinking this was the last time I would be uh, with my family. Because it was, you know, Christian fundamentalists, they don't believe in this stuff. They think it's demonic. And and all I could say is I was praying to God, how could it be demonic? I, I have no longer have Crohn's. How can that be demonic? Somebody please tell me something. And um, that was 13 years ago. And today I see a huge change in, in the whole community, even the church. They're opening and listening and there's, there's a change happening in this world. Disclosure's coming, and people are accepting it more than back then. So it was a hard time, my very hard. And I and I understand that. Yeah, I mean, I went through my own locking myself away in in a lot of ways, trying to come to terms with my own experiences. And it would have been uh, it would have been between about 2006 to about 2011. I was really tied up in knots. Yeah, pretty much the same. Yeah. When I visited you in 2013, now you didn't know who I was. I just, I was at my sister's house and I heard, heard a radio interview with you on uh, Veritas with Mel Fabregas. And I just called you up. And I was in town to visit my mother, who was ill at the time. And she was in an assisted living facility right down the street from my sister. So I was spending a lot of time with my mom. But in those weeks, I came to your house for a night and. Chase Kletsky was there also at the same time, and uh, but when I when I first got to your home, uh, you didn't know who I was, and this was very very early in my owl research, and I, uh, you took me to the room there, and without any prompting from me, you pointed to a bush, right outside the window of that back corner room where the CB radio was installed. You said, "See that old?" Or you said that hickory bush. These two owls would sit in that hickory bush. And for me, I hadn't met you but five minutes earlier, and you were telling me an owl story without any prompting at all. Well, the craziest thing is, is when this thing happened in 07, 
uh, it happened to my son and I, Chris Jr., and three other guys. When we came back from the river that night um, and all the experiences, within one day, the very next day, uh, the January the 8th, that afternoon, these owls took up home in our yard. There were actually three of them, one sitting in the hickory tree on the back patio and two in that oak tree that I showed you. And there for a month, they stayed a month, at least a month, hooting every night back and forth to one another. They were talking to one another. And that that lasted a whole 30 days or more, and then they were gone. And um, I'd never seen that, never seen owls there in that place. Very rare to ever see or hear one. They're usually down in the forest somewhere, uh, you know, deeper, but... We had three to take up home for a month after that event, and they've never quit coming. Just just recently, when Matthew, the hurricane, was two or three years ago, came, uh, I have three owls that I recorded them. They would land on top of my house. They would land on my daughter's tiny home, which has metal roof, and they were, you could hear them clanking on it with their claws. They were screeching like uh, like a barn owl. They would make this squeal noise. And they would fly from tree to tree, all three of them. And uh, they did that for a solid two weeks every night. And I recorded them as a warning. And you, and you sent me those recordings. Yeah. Yeah. And that was because the hurricane was coming. Messengers warning us of danger. And I've always known that that's, um, it's just been a part of my life ever since I was 10 years old. And I saw that owl and I got shot. I just know when I see them, there's something to me, there's something coming. I don't know what, is it peace or is it danger, but they're messengers. It's a lot like Harry Potter. I think, I think a lot of people know this, but. The movie Harry Potter has all these owls that bring the mail, right? They're messengers. Yep, yep. That's perfect. That's the ancient lore right there, right there in our modern times. So I think that collectively, Harry Potter as a series of books has outsold the Bible. So so here's the one story that's sold more books in the Bible than it has an owl as a messenger built right into the plot line. Or lots of owls as messengers. I'll tell you another real cool story. That happened, um, I don't know the date, we can look it up, but probably around 2014. Um, A guy by the name of Colonel John Alexander. Um, Everybody knows who he is. I mean, he's like one of, you know, John, everybody knows him. Oh, yeah, he's a a friend of the show here, and, and Whitley has interviewed him many times, yes. Yeah, and we just, I talked to John this week. But John calls me. Well, I actually meet him in Pennsylvania at the gathering and um, um, meeting him after the gathering a couple of times with a friend. They arranged the meeting and then he kind of wanted to come investigate. So he comes from Las Vegas, brings his wife, Victoria, and they get a hotel uh, in town. And they're there every morning at the house on Friday through Sunday. And all day we would hang out and talk and uh, watch his um, 
slideshows and just enjoying company. So this was a Saturday afternoon. Um, John and Victoria wanted to see the river where it all happened in 07 with Chris Jr. and the fishermen. So I agreed to take him down there. And the house, all my kids were home, and they just love these people when they come. So a lot of imported people come, and we get to meet a lot of folks. It's, it's really amazing. But So everybody's there, right? And we're at the dinner table, and it's just before dark. It's 4 o'clock in the evening, and we're all sitting around the kitchen table, 4.30 maybe, and John's like, can we go to the river? I said, yeah. And everybody wanted to go. I said, no. It's just something told me. Just take Emily. So I looked at Emily and I said, Emily, you come with me. It's my youngest daughter, only daughter. I have three boys and a, and a girl. She's a baby. Well, she was nine when this happened. And she's a magnet. Uh, it doesn't matter if I'm with her or if she's with uh, by herself. This stuff, it appears around her all the time. So I knew that would be a good chance that John would see something if she went along with me. So here, John and I and Victoria drive down three or four miles, three miles to the river. We get there before dark, and we walk down that quarter-mile path uh, down to the bottom, and it all muddy, and show John where everything took place. And as we were walking back up to the top of the hill where the car was, it happened to be about exactly the same time of day as in 2007 when it all happened, about 5, 15, 10, 10 minutes after 5. So the sun was about set or was set when we got to the car, when we made our way back from the river, back up to the car, up the hill. Uh, I had to go under the gate because it was locked. And John's like, can we just sit here a minute and... uh and just feel the place out. I said, sure. So Victoria gets in the back seat on the passenger side. Emily gets in the back seat, driver's side, and opens the back door. And she's sitting in the seat sideways with her feet out the door. So she could see the sky. Victoria was in the back with the door closed. She's ready to go. She's just talking, talking, talking. Well, John is leaning against the front driver's side tire, and I'm against the driver's door. So we're all three, Emily, John, and I are, you know, facing south. Our car's pointing west. We're facing south. And down in down on this river bottom where it's very, it's country down there. And so dark comes on and the stars pop out. And all of a sudden, I just felt them. You know, I have a way of knowing they're there before the, they appear. And John explains this in his book, Reality Denied, where I'm chapter two in his book. He witnessed this. What led me to this, Mike, how I knew, was not only did I have the feeling, I had the audible. This is where it was weird. All of a sudden, um, the nature felt it before I did, because there Emily's listening to the Victoria talk, talk, talk. So she didn't have her ears as cute as I did. And, and John is wears hearing aids, so he don't hear as well. I'm standing there. I hear everything stop. 
all the bugs, all the cicadas, the frogs, everything on the whole river bottom just stops. And it just falls dead silent. And I looked at John and said, did you hear that? And he said, no, excuse me, what? I said, there's no sound, listen. And then all of a sudden we hear these dogs and the far away somewhere down on the river bottom, a quarter mile away, start just making these strange noises like it was nervous. So that reminded me of what happened the very night at home in 07. You know, the dogs were involved. So no longer than um, the noise stopped, the dogs start, um, I began to feel their presence. And I looked up at John and I said, John, I can feel them. They're here. I believe they're here right now. And as soon as I said that, this owl starts hooting. And it it, it kind of got me uh, unnerved because it felt like it was only 10 feet away in the trees, right? We were parked at the gate and there's trees all around us, right? So this just big owl just in a dead silent night, everything quits it's chirping and, and bugs stop. This lonely owl starts hooting. And these dogs in a far away were barking. And I said, to here, John. And we looked straight up over us. And within 10 seconds after I told him that, this huge orb appears and it starts pulsating. They always, when they can't come into our dimension, they're pulsating. I don't know why, but they're pulsating very, very fast, and they're they're very bright. They're very uh, white, bright light, and it's really, really fast pulsating as it pops into this world, and then all of a sudden it stops pulsating, and then it flies off, and it's a solid color, uh, one you know, solid white. And so John got to see it all. He got to see it appear from out of thin air. Um, uh, 10 seconds after I told him it would happen, the owl told us it was going to happen. The dogs and the bugs, nature, it's all connected to nature. And I knew that that owl was, I had a vision of it being one of them standing there making that noise. That's what came to my thoughts immediately. And I know they do this. I know they make they they can do other noises like cows, for example. Um, I have a a good story of Brian experiencing that. He would he was blown away one night because of cows. And I remember you telling me that story. I was in your yard, and you told me that story of the cows. Yeah, like seemingly in the dark, just just out of sight in your yard. And I, there's no cows in your yard. Yeah. There's no cows within 15 miles. But Ryan, my youngest son, had seen orbs and lights in the sky, but he wanted an experience up close. He's like, Dad, why? Chris Jr. has had this experience, and Emily has seen things in a room, and Jeremy's seen shattered people. I haven't seen anything other than lights in the sky. And it's just he and I, and we're walking out toward this burning tree about halfway out there. And this was well after the tree had burnt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it, okay. Yeah, this is probably in 2012 or 13, 2014 maybe, Ryan can tell you. But, you know, we're in a rural place. A golf course is a a half a mile down the street. There's houses everywhere that grew up, you know. I grew up in the country, and it grew up around us. 
So all the farmland's no longer there. So there's no cows within 15 miles at least. And Ryan and I are walking towards this tree, and he's asking me in a uh, a real reaching out way, Dad, why, when am I going to have the experiences like my brothers and sisters? And I said, son, your time is coming. You just got to be patient. And all of a sudden, when I said that, this cow just lets out the biggest uh, moo. It's just like, moo, really loud. I mean, <laughs> crazy loud. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he said, "Where? where's the cow? I said, there are no cows. I said, that's the lady. Because the lady came to me as a bull, right? She came as a bull, and and when I it ran me over. And when I turned around, now there's this lady there. So Ryan looked at me, and he said, Dad, don't give me that. This can't be my experience. And all of a sudden, this other cow starts smelling. Then another, then another. Now we've got six cows, all mooing so loud that anybody within a quarter mile could hear it in the dark in our yard and it's coming from all four sides of us now and it went on for a half an hour in the dark with nothing there that's a true story my son can tell you and it took him a long time to to uh, to understand the magnitude of what happened because he got an audible experience not just a visual experience this is audible more and since you know um he's had a lot of experiences in fact recently this past february and i'll tell this very quickly uh last thanksgiving of, of this past thanksgiving a friend from virginia tech dr bob mcguire and he's like head of the Catherine hume center for national technology and we're talking a really big high-level scientist, a mathematician with, with the government. And uh, he calls me, he writes me, and he said, I'd love to come see you guys. I want to talk to you about installing equipment, cameras in your yard, and to see if we can catch something. I said, okay, Bob, um, I'll, I'll let you know. This was at Thanksgiving. So over Christmas, uh, New Year's on the 30th, the 31st, and the 1st. I walk outside every night and I look up at the sky all three nights and I said, uh, uh, I said, I need an answer. I need to know, am I doing the right thing? Am I supposed to allow Mr. McGuire to come to my house um, and, and install cameras? That's a big deal. But he's retiring and he has something called. Um, uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon tracking network they're trying to create to catch this stuff. So I, I, I walk outside of my little shop on the 30th. I look up at the sky and I said, if it be your will, Lord, I need an answer. Should I let Mr. McGuire come? Sky lights up immediately and this orb just flies right over my head. Kind of up high, but it flies over and I thought, well, that's not so impressive. I see this all the time. So that really wouldn't have yes enough. So I go out the next night and I say the same thing. Nothing. I have absolutely no sign of anything. I thought, man, it must be a big no. Well, within an hour, Chris Jr. calls me and says, Dad, you won't believe what just happened. I walk out my back door and there's this huge orange 
orb and as big as an ice cream truck hovering 150 feet over my house. He said, I go in and I get Jessica. Uh, he First, he said, I, I waved at it. And when I waved at it, it went out. It was an orange light. Now it's a black ball sitting there above my house. And it's just black, a silhouette. So it gets Jessica out back and she sees it. And then it takes off and it flies away. And and then, then it, and it fires back up a couple of times and flashes at them as it goes out of sight. So I thought, cool, that was a sign. It wasn't, you know, the signs come in many ways. It doesn't have to be for me. It was for my son. So I got back out the next night, New Year's night. I said that same prayer. I asked in the mother's name, if it be your will, that I allow these people to come to my house and get involved and put cameras in my yard. Just as I'm saying it, Mike, this, another star appears right beside a star that I'm looking at. I think, okay. And it goes out, and then it appears again closer to me, and it had moved. And then it goes out again. Third time it comes on, it's within a quarter of a mile just above the trees, and it's bright orange, and it stays on for a few seconds, and then it goes out. And I think, okay. So I called Mr. McGuire. I said, I got my answer. You can come. So he shows up in February. It's, um, I think it's the 12th of February that weekend or so. And it's rainy and cloudy on Friday, rainy and cloudy on Saturday. And we just have a grand time sitting around learning stories and trading secrets and stories about, you know, his things. He's a very interesting guy. He's been in the field, fought in Afghanistan. So Sunday night, we go out, we eat, we came back, and it's clear, beautiful sky. So he wants to go do some sky washing, first time in three days. We go out to the dark part of my property, which is down near the dam of the pond. There's very little light down that way, so we can see. And I did the same thing I did, asking again. I said, if it be your will... If you really want me to do this with Mr. McGuire, I need a sign tonight in front of him. And as soon as I said it, it appeared right in front of us and it flew over and it stopped and it made a four leaf clover shape and it changed colors to orange and white and then it flew on off. Well, then here it comes. Orbs start appearing in the trees around us. Very close, you know, 20 yards away. Both sides of us are orbs firing off in the trees. Another orb appears. Now, Ryan is there with us, my youngest child. And he films this. So he gets this huge orb. It appears next to Venus, bright as Venus. And it flies just above the trees, right up towards us. Then it flies towards us. And then it turns. And as it's flying towards the north, it, it vanishes in front. So Mr. McGuire is completely blown away and then uh, he leaves goes back to Virginia and he calls me he said I don't know what's going on but some, some weird stuff happening and I told him it would when he left I said the way this stuff acted around you it intends for us to try to film this stuff and it's not going to stop it's going to become a part of your life well he calls me within a day or so he said I have water appearing out of thin air and spraying my body on my arms or my face or my leg. And it's happened two or three times. Then it happened to his wife. 
Then it happened while he was talking to me on the phone. So six times within a week it happened. And the blessing from it all is his wife had recently had a stroke a year before. And he told the story um, this week on Jimmy Church Fade to Black that um, she was healed from that. She experienced a major healing. She went to her doctor this week, and they couldn't believe it. They were uh, blown away. And um, now they sent her off for MRIs to see how she would drag her foot when she walked on the right side. All that went away. And so this this is uh, Ryan going from uh, begging for uh, experience, and his first one was with, the, with cows, and now he's filming it and sharing it with friends that come here. So it's really grown in the family, and it's just bloomed into something that's incredible. This is so heartening for me to hear, because when I met you seven years ago, you had just been through a brutal emotional experience. Yes. And I'm just so grateful that your experiences have evolved into something so... Like, like I'm reassured. Like, I, I mean, I just feel like we're in troubled times right now. But I just feel like within this fabric, within the fabric of our reality, is this powerful healing experiences. Now, obviously, not everyone gets these healing experiences. And I've heard a lot of dark, dark, scary stories. But I feel like your story is important. And I am so grateful you've let me have you here so you can share some of your experiences. Well, I'm honored, Mike. You know, we're very good friends. That seven years ago, we became friends for, for life. I agree. And um, I'm honored. I really am. We went a little bit over, not much. What do you... As far as like a conclusion or some way to sum this up, like what do you feel? What is what's unfolding? Well, what? Let me say this is the craziest thing, uh, and it ties into Doctor McGuire, because when this 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 being came, and I called it an angel, when it came Easter of last year, it told me it's now chapter two. It's time to tell your story. It also told me some other stuff. And it, one thing that was, it says, we're going to help you share to the world. There, at first, it said there's going to be a revealing of sorts. And the activity is going to pick up all around the world. That's what it told me. And it's going to become front and center. And we're going to use you through television, through camera and um, witness to help share the story, to help share the truth to the world. And that was told to me. And I, and I told it to a whole lot of folks um, what this thing told me at Easter. There's going to be a revealing and the activity is going to pick up and it's going to help me with a camera and with uh, audio, video, and witness filming. And what would be the odds? Thanksgiving, this was in April, Thanksgiving, I get a call from this person wanting to install cameras. And I'm talking sophisticated stuff that 
can, if a ball of light comes on in the sky, it'll pick it up, it'll track it, it'll look into the flight data and say, oh, it's an airline flight number so-and-so. Or it'll look into the satellite data and say, oh, it's satellite 2496, whatever. Or it will rule it all out and say, this is an unknown. Then it'll start tracking in all kinds of spectrums like um, stuff scientists use. They're looking for all kinds of stuff into the light, right? So highly sophisticated system that they're going to put here. I've agreed to let them do it, and uh, it'll be a suitcase full of cameras. They were coming before Easter because I know this Easter is going to be special. It always is every year at Easter. Something major happens. So we're kind of held back right now because of the coronavirus. But I suspect we'll have a package here before then. But who knows, maybe with my little cell phone, I get something so amazing over Easter that um, can change things. Chris, I want to thank you so much for sharing and being so open. And if folks want to get in touch with you, how can they reach out to you? Well, they can find me on Facebook. I'm under Chris Bledsoe on uh, Instagram and Facebook. I did have a Twitter, but it's too much, uh, too too dark on Twitter. I can't take it. Too many people, too many opinions, too many skeptics out there. Yeah, I'm not, yeah the, uh, the internet is a funny place. It's a double-edged sword, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and you got all these people saying all this stuff, and they only had a clue as to who I have worked with. Um, I've seen a lot of things. The famous Tyler you hear about in Diana's book, Diana Pasolka's book, I introduced her to Tyler. I uh, knew him for a long time before she ever met him and worked with him on some stuff. So that's been my last eight years has been behind the scenes and now we're coming, we're coming out, we're coming forward, and hopefully some of this video stuff I have and audio stuff will be released soon. And I think there's a game changer there. I, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope the game gets changed in a way that. I mean, I could see this stuff being spun in a way to spread fear or to spread disinformation or to confuse. And, you know, I recognize we're dealing with something very powerful that's well outside ourselves in many ways. And, um, and I just hope, I hope that whatever emerges is a powerful, positive force. I think it is. I'm sure it is. Well, there's both good and evil. In fact, you know, ever since I reported it the first time, I'll maintain it 13 years later to this very day because I still interact with it and it happens a lot. I saw it last night. Uh, it comes in threes usually and I get to see it up close, but I've always maintained it being of uh, angelic beings, not aliens from some far planet that came here. I'm talking something, whatever, however we want to interpret it. Uh, they hear every thought. They know what you're going to say before you say it. They know how to uh, guide our lives or tear them down. There's something that comes in suffering. I've had a thousand people write me at least 
with their experiences. And all of them, I ask them the same questions. Tell me how it all started. And on 99% will always say they were down and out on their luck. They lost a wife, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter. They lost their job, uh, something that had them in the worst way. And that's when stuff started happening. And it's always that way. It was that way with me. Oh. And I have a story which I've told many times here on the show where I was deep in the throes of clinical depression and uh, I at suicide's door. That's very fair to say. And I woke up in the middle of the night and there was a bright light shining in the window and I had a very clear image of five beings walking towards the house. And I then I promptly put my head in the pillow and went to sleep after hearing a voice in my head commanding me to do so. But that event was impossible to deny. And I, over the next literally 20 years, it took me to really come to terms with it. Uh, you know it just like I know it. And we, we seek all this other information. And I think we'll always come back to that, how it happened and how it happens with everybody else will end up defining what it is we're dealing with. Um, yeah, I used to be ostracized. The crazy thing is when it happened in 07, everybody back then were nuts and bolts. They're flying a S-32B star cruiser from planet Uranus or from the Pleiades or, you know, you couldn't tell anyone it was spiritual. I came out, oh, it was spiritual. It was a uh, healing. Well, I got ostracized not only from my church and from family and friends, but from the UFO community as well. They thought I was crazy. Had to be a nuts and bolts uh, alien with a ray gun. And I'm like, you don't understand. It didn't happen that way with me. I was dying from Crohn's and had a near death from that second one. And was at the last of my rope begging out, God help me. And these balls of fire appears out of the sky, took me away for four and a half hours, brought me back with no more crumbs. And that was 13 years ago. And and uh, I'm a very different person. You and I are both very different people. Um, and you're a different person than the man I met back in 2013. Yeah, I agree. Chris, I'm going to let you go. I'm so grateful we had this chance to talk. Yeah, me too, brother. It was great. Peace to you and your family. Same to you. Give a big hug to Andrea. Tell her I ask about it. I sure will. She was just she just peeked her head in the room a few minutes ago. <laughs> okay, man. Big hugs to you too. Big hugs to you. All right. Bye. Bye. This is Mike, and I am chiming in after the editing. Now, I'm not sure if you could hear it in my voice, but but right near the end, I was close to tearing up as the conversation was ending and as we were saying goodbye. Chris has been confronted with a remarkable set of experiences, 
And he touched on a few things in this talk about being approached by Hollywood as well as scientists. And I guess I should say important scientists. As I said in the introduction, Chris and I have spoken a lot in the last seven years, and he has filled me in on these events as they were happening. And there's stuff I probably shouldn't say, but what I can say is that, is that this is important. His story is important. Now, as I said in the opening, before the actual interview began, I had my own experiences with Chris at his home. And I'll just tell one of them here very quickly. I was visiting his home with Andrea, and we spent the night there. My sister lives a few hours away in North Carolina. And so whenever I visit my sister, I try to make an effort to to visit Chris. And that night, it was a spring evening. It was warm. And, and Chris was taking pictures with his phone in the yard, and he was getting all kinds of orbs. And I was walking around and, and talking with his son, Ryan. And both Ryan and I got kind of pulled over to one corner of the house and were like, Dude, what is that on top of the house? And there was the way the house was, the corner of the house, and the way there was a tree in front of it, it was really difficult to get a direct view because the tree was blocking it. And if you walked around to the other side of the house, just the corner of the roof would have hidden it also. But there was a, I guess, a little bit bigger than a ping pong ball, a glowing orange dot. I mean, it looked like it looked like a light bulb sitting on his roof, glowing bright orange. And it was it was a rich, warm, glowing orange. I, you know, both him and I, Ryan, his son and I were trying to like figure this out. Like, what is that? And we would walk to one side and walk to the other and you could get a pretty good view of it. And, and both of us were trying to like weed out what it may or may not have been. It's like, well, could this be something like really tall, like hovering in the air, like on the other side of the house. And so we would walk around the other side of the house. There was nothing in the sky. There was nothing in any of the trees. There was nothing connected to any of the neighbor's homes. And we would come back and there it would be, it would just be sort of sitting there in like the one spot that was incredibly awkward to try to get a view of it. We could certainly see it, but it was hard to place. My sense was that it was floating a little bit above the roof, but it was very hard to tell. Uh, the next morning, I walked around that same spot, and and there was no way it could have been something on the other side of the roof, just the view I had in the daylight. Now, that may not seem like much, but but it was extremely strange, and both Ryan and myself recognized that in the moment. Um, now, also at his home, this is when I first met Chris, we were in his backyard, and it was evening, and I was there with another investigator. Her name is Chase Kletsky. And there was a person, I'm going to choose to not use her name because she didn't give me permission, but it was a person that was working with Chase. Now, we were in the backyard and Chris is a wonderful storyteller. And he says, in his slow way, he said, you know, we sit out here all the time and we see things in the sky all the time. You know, just just you look up and something's there like, like you know, that little dot over there. And then And then he just kept on talking. And I was like, he just offhandedly pointed to this little dot in the sky. And I'm like, well, that that dot is really strange. And then in order to get a better view of this dot, I went to the middle of the yard and I was standing there with, uh, with the woman that was working with Chase and we were both looking at this thing. Now, in the middle of the yard, we were away from the trees a little bit so we could get a very clear view of it in the nighttime sky. This was a clear night in springtime and it was somewhat humid so the, so the sky itself had that kind of diffuse sheen that comes with uh, humidity in the south. 
and it and it seemed like it was way way up high in the sky and it did not have any um running lights that would be associated with a conventional aircraft and it was it was kind of um skittering along and zigging and zagging in this very kind of um liquid way and you know what it reminded me of you know those little water bugs on the surface of a pond you know how they kind of kind of zip and stop and zip and stop and they they kind of have this liquid way that they move on the surface of the water that in a way is a pretty good example of the motion we sat and watched it for a while this woman was basically saying oh my god i got the chills i got the chills this is weird oh my gosh this is strange and she's right it was strange and eventually this light uh, moved off and we lost sight of it in the trees now i'm going to be very careful saying this next thing i had what might have been the single most powerful synchronicity I have ever had in my life in the presence of Christopher. And I am choosing not to tell that story. It's extremely personal. I'll leave it at that. And it left me with a complete and total knowing that the experiences surrounding Chris are real. And I apologize for not sharing this story, but it is simply far too personal. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.